Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, the Prime Minister prepares to visit Ethiopia, Senegal, and Germany this week. He's going to be meeting with uh, a number of different uh, leaders there. He's going to be trying to make Canada's case for a seat on the UN Security Council. The government offers medical assistance to China in the fight against the coronavirus and develops plans to bring Canadians home. Canada is very present in helping out the international community. Uh, We will continue to work with the international community to ensure uh, that uh, the threats remain low uh, across Canada and indeed uh, as much as we can around the world. And Peter McKay submits the full 300 thousand dollar fee required to run for the conservative leadership i'm here to stand up with you and do my part to help unite this country to put shoulder to the wheel and with others to help us build a better life for all it's monday february 3rd i'm mark sutcliffe let's get right to the top political stories this morning i'm joined by peter van dusen cpac's executive producer and the host of primetime politics hello peter Hi, Mark. Always a pleasure. So let's start with the coronavirus and what Canada is doing about that. We have some details now about the plan and what's going to happen to people when they get back to Canada. Well, that's been one of the big questions all along for the, you know, in particular the last week or so as the Canadian government sort of talked about this plane it had on standby to go bring the Canadians back, which is well up over 300 now uh, that say they want the government's help in getting back. So I'm not even sure they can do that in one plane. That sounds like more people than a plane load can take, uh, depending on the kind of plane, I guess. But um, what we now know is when they come to to CFB Trenton uh, in Ontario, they're going to be uh, put under observation, screened, and then put under observation in in essentially a form of quarantine for a couple of weeks uh, before they'll be allowed to return home. So that's one of the questions that the opposition parties and others had been asking all along uh, was to get from the government a plan. You know, what is it you're going to do with these Canadians when they come back? Who's going to be allowed to come home, first of all? So it sounds like it's only Canadian residents, not uh, Canadian citizens, not permanent residents at this point. Um, and once they get here, uh, they're going to be put into this quarantine before they're uh, allowed back into the general population. And then even once they're in the general population, they'll be advised to uh, take advantage of their provincial health plans and provincial health services, depending on where they live in Canada. Yeah, and it's a tricky business, obviously, because uh, you're you're balancing uh, the, the needs of those people and you want to serve the Canadians who are stranded effectively by this. But at the same time, you have to protect the population and respect that this has now been declared a world health emergency, right? Yeah, and I think there's, you know, um, no one's exactly sure where this is going. Uh, if... If we're all very lucky and no, nobody wants to sow alarm or panic, but if we're, we're all very lucky, they'll, they'll get control over it fairly quickly here and start to limit the spread and, and uh, you know, limit the uh, the deaths from this. But, you know, it's, so far it's been it's been hard to track that. There's, uh, it's spreading, you know, fairly rapidly. It's up over, you know, 14,000 cases now as we speak. The death toll is, is over 350 and, and heading towards... 400. So I'm not sure that, you know, we know exactly where this is headed. So I think there's a, uh, an abundance of evidence at this point and, and probably uh, a lot of public support for saying, look, let's err on the side of uh, caution for these people who have, have been stuck for a couple of weeks now in, in China and can't get out. Once they do get out, uh, does it make sense to prolong their ordeal for a couple of more weeks to make sure that the rest of Canadians are safe? 
All right, let's turn to the Prime Minister's trip later this week to Africa, which is in large part about Canada's campaign for a seat on the United Nations Security Council, something that Justin Trudeau was talking about in the election campaign in 2015, uh, more than four years ago now. Uh, where do things stand on that, and what's at stake in this trip? Yeah, that was the Canada's back speech. Um, and uh, he repeated that again after this past election, this past fall, that uh, Canada was going to keep up its campaign to win a seat on the UN Security Council. Um, that's what this trip to Africa is all about. He's going to be meeting with uh, a number of different uh, African leaders there. He's going to be trying to make Canada's case uh, for a seat on the UN Security Council. But it, it, Canada's up against, uh, as it was the last time around under Stephen Harper, it's up against another big challenge for and up against its own record, essentially, Mark. So you've got you know Norway and Ireland are the other two countries, and um, you know, uh, the countries have been pressing uh, Canada uh, and other countries to try and meet uh, the UN uh, international development uh, relief scale, which calls for, you know, 0.7% uh, of gross national income to be devoted to development aid. Canada's at about 0.3%. Uh, Norway's over, uh, around, or maybe slightly over 1%, and Ireland's unveiled a plan to get to 0.7%. Um, and Canada uh, isn't there and has yet to unveil a plan to get there. So it's a tough sell job to a bunch of countries, uh, and Africa you know, plays a significant role. African countries here can sometimes end up being the deciding vote, and Canada is going to make that pitch. But, you know, this is a, in a lot of cases, this is uh, countries look at this and say, what have you done for me lately? And so Canada's record in Mali and the fact that we've, you know, keep, peacekeepers are gone and we have no place, you know, we've made no commitment to deploy them elsewhere. Uh, we don't uh, have a, uh, a, as big a development, international development budget as the two competitors who want that temporary seat on the UN Security Council. And then here at home, I'm not sure the Prime Minister has made a, a case to Canadians, uh, certainly not lately, about why Canada wants and deserves a seat on the UN Security Council. What do we want to do with that seat once we get it? Uh, you know, there's lots of conflict in the world and lots of challenges facing UN Security Council members. What role does Canada think it can play? I'm not sure that the Prime Minister has sort of told Canadians why we want the seat other than uh, the diplomatic prestige and to be able right. to feed that narrative that Canada's back. And would it be embarrassing if we didn't get the seat? Well, I think so, because the, the Liberals in the 2015 election campaign made a big deal about the fact that, you know, suggesting in effect that if they had been in power, we would have got the seat, that they would have been doing things differently. And so um, I think I think in some ways, you know, the federal government thought this was going to take care of itself, that uh, Canada was going to do enough things and have a, enough of an international presence under Justin Trudeau to uh, have people... Uh, want to have us on the uh, UN Security Council as a temporary member, but I'm not sure that's still the case four plus years later. Um, so I think you'd have to say it would be an embarrassment given what the Liberals said about the Conservative record on the international stage. Canada's back, but you know, back may not mean a seat on the UN Security Council. Let's turn to the Conservative leadership race, and we've learned that uh, Peter McKay has already paid the full $300,000 fee uh, early uh, and ahead of any other uh, entrant in the race. Obviously, that's meant to send a strong signal about uh, his fundraising, about his capacity, about the support, and to establish him as the clear front runner at this stage. 
Yeah, I think so. Uh, you can imagine there would have been these conversations behind closed doors in the McKay campaign saying, look, uh, wow, this is going really well. Uh, we've got all our signatures. We've got the money. Uh, the money's been flowing. Do we just pay the first installment we're required to pay at, on, on February 25th, which, uh, you know, uh, is, is, is much less than that. I mean, just to quickly touch the rules, they're required to have $300,000 as part of the uh, candidate fee and 3,000 signatures by March 25th uh, from 30 ridings in, in seven provinces or, or territories across the country. But... You know, uh, all they had to do by February was put up a thousand signatures and twenty five thousand dollars. But clearly the McKay campaigns decided, look, let's make a statement here. We've got the money. We've got the names. Let's do it all now to be very clear about, you know, we've seen some candidates say they're thinking about going in and considering going in. And then suddenly they're not going in. I think this is Peter McKay's way of saying, yeah, I'm in. I've paid the bills. Uh, I've paid the deposits, got the signatures. I'm for real. And that again, feeds that narrative that this starts to look, not that he won't get a challenge, I don't think, from Aaron O'Toole for sure, and probably uh, Marilyn Gladue. But, you know, it, it's, it feeds that narrative, and, and maybe the McKay people want this, that this is heading for a coronation, and that yeah. uh, Peter McKay is not going to be stoppable. Is it looking more like a coronation? I've heard people using that word a lot in the last week. Well, you know, I mean, if... It, it, it sort of feels that way. I mean, and I think we'll know more. I, I think the ten, next 10 days will kind of tell us a lot because as we get close to that first deadline, uh, three weeks or, or so from now, it's going to be fish or cut bait time for if there is uh, a candidate we haven't thought about or if anybody's going to reconsider that's high profile, it's a big name, uh, this is the time they're going to have to do it. And if we don't hear that, then it starts to look like a, uh, a, a battle between Peter McKay and Aaron O'Toole. And uh, Marilyn Gladue is probably there as well. And then there will be the other candidates in the race, uh, unless they can map really surprising campaigns that uh, no, you know no, nobody's thought of. And uh, they do a lot, whole lot better than uh, political observers think they will. Uh, it, it's hard to see how, uh, if it's not a coronation, it, it might be headed uh, towards the possibility of a coronation. And, and if it doesn't end up that way, then we have some kind of a major upset to talk about. Yeah. All right. Peter, great to have your thoughts on all of this. Thank you very much for joining us today. Always a pleasure, Mark. Take care. That's CPAC's Peter Van Dusen. I'm here to stand up with you and do my part to help unite this country, to put shoulder to the wheel and with others to help us build a better life for all. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the Toronto Star, Michael Tobe argues the near coronation of Peter McKay could be disastrous for the Tories. Tobe writes, Tory supporters would be wise to think back to the last time one of its political leaders had a near coronation and how poorly that turned out. In 1993, Kim Campbell was well-liked by caucus and more than half of them backed her. It turned out to be a disaster. I'm not suggesting McKay's near coronation would cause the same thing, but it would be better for the party and the democratic process if more candidates threw their hats in the ring. In an editorial, the Toronto Sun argues corporate welfare in Canada needs to stop. The Sun writes, We're fans of business-friendly measures like reducing the corporate tax rate and bringing down energy costs. But the $50 million investment in MasterCard's cybersecurity center is picking winners and losers, plain and simple. 
whether it's the recent payouts to Loblaws and Canadian Tire or the other smaller business disbursements doled out by Industry Canada, corporate welfare is alive and well in Canada. It needs to stop. At cbc.ca, Wyatt James Shearman argues we should stop fixating on soft news and pay attention to things that matter. He writes, Consider some of the stories that galvanized attention over recent weeks. The Prime Minister grew a beard. The relocation of the Duke and Duchess of Sussex. The purchase of gourmet donuts. There has been in-depth coverage of a number of recent stories, but far too often it's the trivial news that receives an overabundance of attention at the expense of issues that truly matter. Now, let's look at what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. While there has been a lot of attention paid to the Conservative leadership race, there will be developments today regarding the Green Party and its search for a new leader. CPAC's Martin Stringer has more. Mark, while so many people have been paying attention to the Conservative Party race to replace Andrew Scheer, the Green Party of Canada is also looking for a leader to replace Elizabeth May. You'll remember she stepped down as federal leader after the fall election, but she still remains parliamentary leader here in Ottawa. Now, today in Charlottetown, PEI, interim party leader Joanne Roberts will be joined by the leader of the PEI Greens, Peter Bevan Baker, and his seven other MLAs who form the official opposition in Prince Edward Island. It's a great place to showcase the announcement of the rules for the leadership race of the federal Greens. The Greens are uh, going to vote and they will announce a new leader at their party convention on October 3rd. Thanks, Martin. Also today, the Prime Minister will meet with the Black Political Action Committee before attending question period. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Monday, February 3rd. Tune in to Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.